Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Hey, it's Erica, the host of The Bay. If you're listening to us for the first time, what's up? Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening so you never miss a beat. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Some California lawmakers want to see another tech boom, but this time for the budding carbon removal industry. It's literally what it sounds like, using technology to take CO2 out of our atmosphere. And advocates of carbon removal say we're going to need it because reducing our carbon footprint alone just isn't going to cut it. It effectively needs to be a wartime effort, and the oil and gas infrastructure that currently exists out to the horizon needs to be replaced with carbon removal. Some believe that carbon removal can help fight climate change and create a lot of jobs in the process. But how is this going to work, and can it really make a difference? Lately, I've been hearing a lot of people using the wonderful movie title, Everything Everywhere All at Once, to refer to climate change. And I think it's a good call. Today, we're breaking down what carbon removal is and whether it could be the Bay Area's next big boom industry. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, 
visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. California's climate goals are to reduce our emissions by 48 percent by 2030 and by 85 percent by 2045. Laura Clivens is a climate reporter for KQED and the host of Deep Look. We are not close. So far, we are just 3% of the way there. Whoa. So we're not doing very well. But I will say California has really ambitious climate goals, which is great. We just need to start really delivering on that. What needs to happen in order to reach those goals? Everything needs to happen in order to reach those goals. We need to mitigate, 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 which means reduce our emissions that we're putting into our atmosphere. And then this story that I recently did is that even with all the mitigation and the reductions, we need to also remove carbon from our atmosphere. I think a good analogy for how we can think about this is we can think of a bathtub The bathtub is our atmosphere. The water is the carbon that's in it. And our bathtub is very full right now. We don't want it to spill over. And so in order to not flood the rest of our bathroom, we need to turn off the tap, right? So we got to stop putting emissions out. But we also need to just remove some of that water. So the majority of our efforts really should be focused on the 90% of reducing emissions, turning off that water. But we still need to be doing everything at this point because we've just delayed for so long. We're in such a desperate moment Mm. that we also need to think about removing some of that water, taking out some of the carbon from our atmosphere. And how do you do that? How do you remove CO2 from the atmosphere? So we need to define a bunch of terms that are out there because they're really confusing. So... First of all, there's something called carbon capture, and that really refers to getting carbon, removing carbon from a a point in space. So that would be a smokestack, for example. There are carbon offsets, which you're like, oh, I take a plane ride and maybe a little pop-up comes on and they're like, would you like to offset the carbon that you're putting into the air by taking this plane ride? Some might be going towards uh, sustaining a forest or um, planting trees, and those are things that take carbon out of the air. Other carbon offsets might go to support a clean energy project. Unfortunately, um, there are some really bogus offsets that don't really do anything and might even make pollution worse. Mm. And then there's this thing called carbon removal. It is literally taking carbon out of the air. There are different ways that it can happen. It can happen through something that I think is easy for us to imagine, which is a nature-based solution. So that is forests, creating new forests, or farming in a way that you don't disturb the soil as much and therefore it retains more carbon. Maintaining wetlands, which are um, wonderful places to store carbon. And that's that's the natural-based solution side. We have put so much carbon into our air and we have a limited resource in the amount of land and ocean that we have to absorb carbon that even with all the nature-based solutions that we can think of, we are still in a place where scientists are saying we need 
even more. And that's where an engineered solution comes in. I know you actually went to a parking lot in San Francisco and watched some of this happen. Can you tell me about that trip uh, that you went on and, and why'd you go there? So I ended up at this lot in San Francisco. It's where one of these carbon removal startups is based. And this one is called Charm Industrial. We can walk through this process. So Showing me around was Sean Kinetic, who's one of the co-founders of the company. They're looking at agricultural waste. Yeah, so we take the agricultural waste and the leftovers after the farm harvest, and we feed it into our reactor, and we heat it up in the absence of oxygen. For example, what they showed me when I was there was something called corn stover, which is the leftovers from the corn harvest. So pretty much anything but the kernels themselves. So that's like the stalk and the leaves and the husk. We've used almond shells in the past. Uh, Walnut shells are another great one in California. And then they are heating that up really quickly to 550 degrees C in under five seconds, and then it's immediately cooled. And in a matter of seconds, they're producing a few different substances. One of them is this, like, black goo. It looks kind of like molasses, and it smells like barbecue sauce. And we take that agricultural waste and convert it into the bio-oil. What they do with it is they will pour it down old oil wells. There it hardens and it stays there, and from what they can tell, none of it is escaping. And it will stay there for a period of time of thousands of years. What would these bales of hay uh, and all this corn basically do to the atmosphere if charm didn't turn it into black goo? Well, if this carbon cycle isn't interrupted in that way, the leftovers from agriculture will do what they're generally doing now, which is slowly decomposing and the carbon is going back into the atmosphere. So I shouldn't let those grapefruits that have fallen from my tree just sit there and disintegrate back into the earth. Well, they can. Here's the thing. Like some of the nutrients, we need some of those things to remain on the field and they prevent erosion in some cases. Another thing that Charm is doing is they actually have three products through their process of heating up this stuff. One of them is the bio oil and then the other one is something called biochar. It looks like ash. And they're putting that back on the field uh, because that has nutrients that are good for the field. So it's like, this stuff is also, it has some role to play. But what they're finding scientifically in their research is that they can take a a portion of those agricultural leftovers and use them for this process of then burying the carbon that's within them. And is there real, like, money behind this? This industry is super fledgling, super young, And it's extremely expensive right now. But the thought is, if this industry gets spurred along by people adopting it now, by policy changes, the cost would come down similar to how costs for solar and wind have come down, and that this could be a viable solution among many solutions, right? Another potential cool thing is jobs. This industry has the potential to employ people who 
are either leaving or losing jobs in the fossil fuel industry because it's using similar technology, similar equipment even, as the fossil fuel industry. And so we're seeing lawmakers uh, in California become more interested in this. They're thinking about introducing some legislation around it. One of those lawmakers who's interested in it is an assembly member, Matt Haney from San Francisco, a Democrat. Recently, he convened a bunch of his colleagues at the Charm Industrial Headquarters to learn about carbon removal. Um, And they toured the facility and met various founders and scientists to talk them through what carbon removal is and the potential it has. This industry offers the opportunity for both white-collar jobs and blue-collar jobs. It's not just folks who can do the engineering, but we actually need uh, skilled industrial labor. We need folks who are in the trades. We need folks who are uh, skilled with their hands. And so the range of jobs that this can provide for is tremendous. And so if this kind of thing were to take off, to be successful, um, and to happen in California, it could be an economic boom. Is anyone worried about this idea at all? Absolutely people are worried about this idea. For one, there is this idea of moral hazard, which is this idea that, okay, great. Uh, Now that we have this removal strategy, let's just keep driving that huge car. Let's just keep pumping our fossil fuels and, and drilling for more oil. There are concerns from environmental justice communities. One particular reason why this is so is that to put away that carbon, It needs to go somewhere, ideally a place with good geological formations beneath it. And it turns out that those places happen to also be the places that are really good for drilling oil. The Central Valley for decades has borne the brunt of pollution from fossil fuel industry and from other industries. And so folks who live in those communities, while the promise of carbon removal might sound good in theory, are extremely concerned about the details. I won't say that I have excitement. I will say I have a lot of hesitation. So Katie Valenzuela is a senior policy advocate with the Central Valley Air Quality Coalition. I'm actually a Sacramento City Council member now, but I grew up in Oildale. She grew up in Kern County, and she describes herself as a frontline kid. Oildale? Mm-hmm. Guess what we did there. <laughs> and she expresses a lot of these concerns. Because I feel like every time we have this great new idea that we want to test out, it lands in the Central Valley somehow and ends up having unintended consequences that weren't foreseen that then we have to deal with. You know, when you put carbon underground, it's, you know, in some forms, it seems like it might not be a problem. This is thousands of feet. It might not affect the water table. But what if there is a problem? What if there are some sort of leaks? What if there's some other effect on a community that that we don't yet know? I have a lot of proponents of this technology talk to us like we don't understand that more carbon needs to be pulled out of the atmosphere. Um, And I just want to say, I feel pretty confident saying on behalf of a lot of my EJ colleagues, we absolutely understand that we're going to need to do more to remove carbon from the atmosphere. I don't think anyone's ignorant to that. Um, What I'm saying is we have real questions about how this is going to roll out. We have real questions about the implications this has for our communities. And we have just very pragmatic 
equity questions about whether this is what we should be doing first. Also, these communities, like communities in Kern County, they want to see some investment in their own communities and and to really be partners on these things, uh, as opposed to outside companies coming in and saying, listen, this is just good for the world. We need to address climate change. And like, we'll work out the details. We'll work out the details. It's like from an environmental justice perspective, we always try to look for that, like that impact on frontline communities and what is the thing that's going to help them the most. And I don't believe this is it, but I'd love to be proven wrong. Is it fair to say Councilmember Valenzuela is afraid that her community will basically get left behind again? I think so. One concern that she has is that this is a distraction, right? There are other things that we know we have to do right now. So the order in which we do it, um, she's concerned with us putting time and effort into carbon removal right now when there's other stuff. I think about how much money has been spent just on carbon capture and carbon removal technology in the last few years. And I just think, wow, we could have solved a lot of problems in frontline communities with that money. At the end of the day, California is betting big on getting CO2 out of the atmosphere. Our state's climate goals say we'll need to capture or remove 100 million tons of carbon dioxide every year. And a recent report from the International Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, went as far as to call carbon removal an unavoidable strategy if countries are going to meet their emissions reductions goals. What is it going to take, you think, to do carbon removal safely and also quickly, just given the stakes? It's such a good question because it's like a fine balance. What it would take is um, is money to spur along the companies and the innovation and make them incentivized to work on these problems really quickly. It's going to take policy that will incentivize people to want to purchase carbon removal. And it would take a really thoughtful um, regulation discussion, a discussion with scientists about the implications, about the potential hazards of um, rolling out carbon removal. And really importantly, it would take input from communities where the carbon might end up being pumped into the ground or where the facilities might be located. The problem with carbon removal is that Frankly, it's not the first thing we should be doing. So I talked to Danny Cullenward. He has been in the space of climate change for uh, a long time now. Um, he's a policy fellow at American University, and he's been really focused on carbon removal in the last few years. None of this really makes a difference if we don't dramatically reduce our emissions first and foremost. We need to do that, and we need to start cleaning up the excess CO2 in the atmosphere. He thinks that we need to think really big about this issue. What we are hearing again and again and again from the science community is that to address climate change, we need everything everywhere all at once. This is just one of many things that have to go right. We've got to clean up transportation. We've got to clean up the power grid. We've got to clean up the industrial sector. We've got to do things in agriculture. And on top of all of that, we're going to need to pull some CO2 out of the atmosphere. Well, Laura, is there any chance that carbon removal is going to become a big thing in California? There definitely is a chance that it is. Um, there's a chance that in 10 years, 
we won't be thinking about it at all. Maybe it won't be a thing. It's a new technology. There's a lot of energy around seeing where it can go. Um, I think it's it's hard to understand some of these things because it's like a tree, a carbon cycle of a tree. You know, I get that. I've I've learned about that since I was young. It feels okay. It feels sort of safe to me. And I think what's hard to think about this other kind of thing is that, you know, it seems like we're interrupting uh, a natural cycle. It also is something that we're talking about because we have delayed climate action for such a long time that now it is a scientific consensus that this type of intervention is necessary. Well, Laura, this is such an interesting story. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your knowledge with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. That was Laura Clivens, a climate reporter and host of Deep Look, an ultra HD wildlife and nature series, which you can find on YouTube or at kqed.org slash deep look. This 40-minute conversation with Laura was cut down and edited by our senior editor, Alan Montecilio. Producer Maria Esquinka scored this episode and added all the tape. If you liked this episode and are new to our show, consider this a very warm welcome. Make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Peace. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.